Welcome to the Lean Health Tech Podcast, where industry professionals discuss trends and topics where efficiency, healthcare, and technology meet. My name is Taryn Shipley, and I'm your host. Our guest speaker today is Jason Jones, Chief Analytics and Data Science Officer at Health Catalyst. Thanks for joining us, Jason. My pleasure, Taryn. Nice to speak with you this morning. Today's topic is executive decision-making. Can you provide some background on how you got started exploring the topic of executive decision-making and why it's important to you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this started many years ago in the late 1990s, actually, when I was getting the opportunity to see how it was that pharmacy benefit management organizations were making decisions on uh, drug formularies. And realized that we had some pretty good data and some good methods to support the decisions that they were trying to make. And of course, these decisions, if you're talking about formularies around something like an an antihypertensive or blood pressure medication, can impact literally millions of people. And I was just sort of astounded by how often we would bring good data and high-quality analytics, and then the decisions would be made by kind of individual water cooler discussions. And I just thought, wow, why, why is this happening? It doesn't, it seems like we should be able to do better. And that was really when I began my own journey to try to figure out, because these are very smart people, very passionate people, um, responsible for a lot of lives. How is it that we can bring data and analytics and, and what became AI or augmented intelligence to be able to support these kinds of very, very large decisions that can impact a lot of lives. That's That was how it sort of started for me. Can you give us some examples of good and poor executive decisions you've witnessed over the years and what made them good or bad? Yeah, that, that first decision I witnessed around blood pressure medications, that, that just felt to me like the wrong decision to make, or at least the wrong decision process. It could have been at the end of the day that, you know, drug A really should be prioritized over drug B on the formulary. But the process of making that decision was much more likely to lead to errors, again, that impact millions of people. Um, I have seen, as, as you mentioned, really well thought through decisions that did leverage the tools that we have to support them in the best way. Um, recently, what I've seen, which is, I guess it's surprised me a little bit, but at the same time, I feel like it's perhaps one of the more meaningful ways for us to be able to our, our advance our ability to support people is in the space of variable executive compensation. And I had thought to myself, this is probably one of the last areas where executives would be willing to apply AI. You know, would you really trust algorithms and computers to help you select where to focus as an organization and where to set goals in such a way that it directly could impact your bank account? Um, But recently what I found is that most executives hate that process so much it's it's supposed to be motivating and yet it tends to be just draining and somehow miserable that what i found is now an increasing number of organizations are willing to say let's use our data let's use algorithms let's use ai to help figure out where it is that we need to focus and where we should set 
quantitative goals um, for even even levels of payout. And I've seen that work out really, really well and increasingly over the last couple of years. It's almost like it's on an, an exponential increase in our ability to be able to support those kinds of decisions. And I think if we can do that, we make it real for people and demonstrate how it is that the computer can help. Because executives still make critical decisions. They still make really important value judgments about what it is that they're trying to aspire to be as an organization, where it is that the organization has the will to improve, for instance. These are all really important human decisions, but where humans can fall down is, okay, now let's turn that into numbers that we agree are going to possibly impact our bank account. And that's when people start to use their elbows and other parts of their bodies and loud voices in the room and whatnot to politicize a process that that doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be miserable. It actually can be positive for everyone. And we can get to real better areas of focus and better targets that again, impact millions of lives. Um, so that's been really positive to see especially over the last year or two. Why do you suspect there's such dread with that process? Do you think it's just people are resistant to change? Are people mm. a little bit fearful of the unknown AI? Are they worried that AI is going to replace their job? Okay, so there's two things we should probably separate. Why are people, why, why is the process of setting variable executive compensation targets miserable? It's miserable because... <laughs> it historically has been dependent on who has the loudest voice in the room or the ear of the CEO the day before or something like that. So you have a bunch of people who are vying for how do we, you know, they, they are trying to improve health and healthcare, but, but when it comes to setting targets for their compensation, they also have a vested interest in being able to figure out how it is that they and the people who work for them can actually do better and so you end up with people who are saying, you know, well, we, you know, what if, if we have a target of an observed to expected um, readmission rate of 0.8, that's going to be really hard for us to hit. So let's set it at 0.85 and therefore we'll be able to hit it more easily and more quickly and, and the payout will be better. Um, why would one hospital set it at 0.85 and another hospital set it at 0.8? Well, historically, that's come down to an argument who can be most convincing, who can be loudest or, or whatever. And so that's the part that's pretty miserable. Um, and then you get into debates about, well, my patients are sicker than your patients or your hospital's bigger and has more resources than my hospital, or you have a more favorable contract with your skilled nursing or other post-acute facilities than I do. And all of these other arguments that, that come up, which is really people trying to advocate for they and their employees' ability to get decent bonus payouts. But a lot of that can kind of be put to the side if we can rely on algorithms to help us understand where is it that we would set these targets so that at the end of the day, we can convince ourselves that if we achieved change of level X, that is actually likely attributable to real change and not just random fluctuation. So if we can agree on the principle that we should be able to improve in a specific area 
not by random chance, but because something has actually changed. If we can agree on that principle, now we can leverage algorithms to help us figure out, okay, where would we set that target then? And that process, Taryn, I had expected people to be very fearful of, but actually have, have not found that to be the case. And it's been pleasantly surprising. In fact, we've had increasing experience with organizations say, wow, I'd like to take advantage of that too. I hate the process that we have today. It would be so much easier if we could have a better one. So it's truly a case of the, the computers and the algorithms being able to augment what people are trying to do, not replace them. And then again, the people get to focus on those areas like what are we trying to be as an organization? How do we think about systemness? A systemness that every hospital or medical office building or provider has the same focus areas and the same targets? Or does it mean that we choose the greatest opportunity for each hospital or medical office building or specialty or whatever it is? And then we figure out how can they improve within the areas where they have the greatest opportunity. And again, that's not a computer decision. That's always going to be a human decision. And so people appreciate being able to focus in those areas where people do really well and handing off decisions where algorithms or computers do really well. That makes perfect sense. And you alluded to a point of bias in there. I know people's mm -hmm. thing, especially in healthcare, AI has bias. We're going to introduce bias in healthcare. We have to be careful. But you're kind of saying the reverse case is true, right? Humans are very biased. Yeah. When we're using algorithms and AI, we're actually removing a layer of bias and leveling the playing field because you were mentioning kind of the loudest voice in the room, um, mm -hmm. what they're saying. You're leveling the playing field and then the introverts who may have great opinions and great thoughts might not have their ideas heard. We typically go with the extroverts idea just because they're throwing elbows and have the loudest voice. So I think removing yeah. bias and leveling the playing field are two major advantages to what you're describing. Absolutely. You're yes, I think you're exactly right, Taryn. That's a great point. Sometimes one of the best things you can do when trying to counter bias is to be able to call it out explicitly and specifically so that people can be aware of it and then figure out how to deal with it. And that's why for myself, you know, e even if you go back to the 1950s, there's been this debate uh, about whether AI should be artificial intelligence, which is principally focused on replacing humans with machines, or should it be what used to be called intelligence amplification, or sometimes I'll refer to now as augmented intelligence, where we take the best aspects of humans and the best aspects of computers, and we try to pair them together to, together to get the best result. And there is, you know, legitimate, well-founded concern around algorithmic bias. And we do have to be very, very careful there. Um, the the best examples I think we've seen, best and simultaneously worst examples that I think we've seen, is trying to predict future future healthcare utilization based on prior healthcare utilization without taking into account the fact that you can only utilize healthcare if it's affordable and accessible to you. And so what we end up doing, because we'll often use prior healthcare utilization as a way to understand who might have the greatest future demand and then help those people who are going to have the highest future demand. 
Well, often what that ends up doing is it ends up that people who could not afford or access healthcare in the past get relegated to a lower tier in the future of being able to, to take advantage of that support that we might offer. And so that that's a great example and an unfortunate example of where we've actually been able to demonstrate that bias can be exacerbated by algorithms. The advantage that we have if we get out in front of that is to say, well, what is the aim that we're trying to achieve? And if we can define that aim and then ask ourselves, where can a computer help us in that aim? Then rather than just hoping that the magic of an algorithm can work, it has a specific role and we can measure it against its ability to support that role. So that's a, a great example of another place where I've seen algorithms actually help reduce bias is somewhat ironically for some in the area of health equity, you know, which is where we have a concern. We have a concern that algorithms will increase disparities in health and healthcare over time. But if we go into the exercise and say, what I would like for the computer to do is I would like for the computer to tell me where do we have disparities in care? Well, then we can actually design or build an algorithm that's specifically focused on highlighting those disparities. And we've done that quite successfully. It's actually not that hard to do. If we just take a moment within the context of if the computer is supposed to be augmenting what we can do, what would count as augmentation? How would we know? And then let's define our system to augment us in that specific way. And health equity is one of those areas where we've said, let's have the computer search through all the measures that we have across all the personal characteristics that we have and highlight those areas where we see the greatest disparities. And now we've just taken this fear of algorithmic bias and turned it into a tool of help me find where I have disparities and then I can begin to address the disparities. And of course, for a human being to go through every single measure that we have in health and healthcare and to go through every personal characteristics that we could possibly assign or have assigned to an individual, that would be a impossible task for any set of human beings. But the computer can do that quite well. We just need to be able to tell the computer, that's what we want you to do. Go find the greatest disparities that we have. And then we'll select from those disparities where we have ideas for change and the organizational will to, to, to take that change. Let's go fix it. Love how you explained that. So it really is, we need to learn how to master the tool rather than be intimidated by potential yeah. bias or the negative implications that come if we aren't familiar with how it works. Absolutely. Start with... What matters to us, which will always be a uniquely human answer, and then ask, how can the computer help us achieve what matters to us? And if we just start with, with those two questions, then I think a lot of our fears turn into tool selection problems, as you, as you say. So if I was an executive in a healthcare organization right now, what could I do to enhance my ability to make sound decisions? What would my next step be? I think the very, very first thing, Taryn, is, is to acknowledge that 
by virtue of being an, an executive and a human being with entirely too many things to worry about myself, how can I use tools? Where would I like a tool to help me? That would be the first question. And I think thus far, healthcare executives have been far too quick to jump to the, I need to find a tool that's going to improve the decision-making of docs and nurses and pharmacists and respiratory therapists and people like that. But what, what I would advocate is that healthcare executives, especially today, ask themselves what would help their own decisions the most because their decisions are the ones that are going to impact tens or hundreds or hundreds of thousands or millions of lives and millions and billions of dollars over the next year or so. And so those are the decisions, those executive decisions are the ones that we most need to get correct in the next 12 months. So how can we help ensure that we're getting those decisions correct consistently and transparently for the organization? Do you have any other thoughts or advice around executive decision-making that you'd like to share? Um, it's really hard and it's getting harder. I, I think the reason that we had a chance, for instance, to work on variable executive compensation is because it's just hard today. Like so many of our patients, we, we wish that a patient would show up uh, in the emergency department. Of course, we, we hope no patients show up in the emergency department. But if they showed up in the emergency department, we wish they only had one problem. And almost no patients have just one problem. And I don't know any healthcare organizations or any executives in those organizations who have just one problem today. I, I only have a problem with inventory management, right? There was, there was a brief time in COVID where there was a mortality issue that we didn't know how to deal with, but the big issue was how can I get personal protective equipment? And that if we could just solve that problem and finding ventilators, we would be okay. Today, we have a host of financial problems, a host of labor problems, both you know, under supply and oversupply. We're trying to figure out how we get out of COVID. We're challenged with our quality measures. There's all kinds of acquisitions and shifts and EHRs and all of these things going on. The number of problems that we have to face and the number of decisions that we have to get correct is growing, not shrinking. So let's acknowledge that and figure out how can we how can we identify the places where we most need to focus, most need to get the answers correct, and then let's try to solve those first, which is a lot of what we do in the emergency department as well, right? Yes, you know, there's the type of a problem that a patient has that's probably not risk of imminent mortality or otherwise decline. So let's put those off for a little bit, not forever, for a little bit so that we can focus on the biggest problems. But the first thing you have to do is to be able to tease out what are the biggest problems and which ones do I need to get right today versus which ones can wait until tomorrow. And then how can I make sure I get those most important things correct today? Thank you so much for sharing your insight around executive decision-making. This concludes today's Lean Health Tech podcast. If you're a listener and would like to hear a certain topic covered in future episodes, please let me know by leaving a review or comment. Thanks for joining and be sure to check out the next episode.